This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Brady Christensen coming up here momentarily. Uh, going to the NFL, Gordon. I've I've uh, looked around on the mock drafts, and, man, he is all over the board in the yeah. mock drafts that I've seen. Um, I saw one that had him going as high as the first round. I've seen as low as five. So he's there's, there's kind of split opinions on where he might end up. Yes, indeed. And I, he had a good pro day, didn't he? I mean, it's yeah. like his numbers were quite good. So, I don't know. He's one of those guys that will be really interesting because some guys are just sort of hold, holding on and holding out hope that they'll get selected at all. But with Brady, like you said, there's this sliding scale of uh, expectation, uh, and it varies. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing where he'll go. Well, he certainly plays one of the most important positions on the football field. That is for and he, sure. And he did it uh, better than anybody in his final year at BYU. Let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, I guess, do we uh, do we say former BYU offensive lineman Brady? What's what's the official title? Is that all, is that all right? Future NFL tackle Brady Christensen? Is that better? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, either one. I I don't think you can go wrong with uh, either one. <laughs> well, thanks for jumping on with this, man. Uh, this must be a, a pretty exciting time, I would guess. Yeah, man. It was. Uh, it's. I'm just enjoying the process. It's crazy that I get to do football as a full time job. You know, preparing for this draft. So I'm just. I'm enjoying the process, loving the process, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. What did you do to prepare for uh, pro day? Yeah, so I was down in. Uh, at Dallas, Texas, um, I was down at a facility called Michael Johnson Performance. So I was working out, getting the work done with the drills and the bench and getting stronger and faster and everything. And then also um, worked with a uh, line coach named Duke Manyweather going over drills and combine drills and, and getting that um, all in. And then I actually just had a baby a couple of weeks ago as well. Hey. So I came back awesome. about a month ago um, and didn't. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's been, it's been awesome. And then just training uh, at Stroformance Stro uh, down here in Pleasant Grove. And so it's been good. It's been fun. I've got my second one, Brady, uh, due in a month. And I am not looking forward to going back to the whole newborn lifestyle. How does that how does that work with getting ready, ready for the NFL draft, having a newborn? Yeah, it is crazy. The hospital experience, I mean... <laughs> The bed that I had to sleep on was uh, was quite too small, you know. <laughs> so that, that was crazy. Um, but then the new, it's it's been you know just taking it a day at a time. My wife's amazing; she does an amazing job. And and our little baby boy, his name's Ledger. He's he's been awesome. And so you really just take it a day at a time, you know. Like focus on on the family, but also realize that that I got this huge opportunity. So really focus on on football. You can really do both. I always say football, family, and faith. You know, you can focus on all three, no doubt. So, Brady, at Pro Day, uh, a lot of uh, NFL representation there, a lot of people wanting to see Zach, but they saw you too. How do you feel like you performed? Yeah, I felt like I, I did a great job, you know. I had a lot of goals 
that I set uh, a couple months ago that I wanted to like hit. Um, some of them were lofty, and I was able to hit every single one of them. Um, it, it was an amazing experience. Obviously, yeah, Zach had a great day, and it was awesome to watch him. But to be able to perform like that in front of so many different NFL teams, it was uh, it was awesome. What's the interview process been like with the various teams? Because it's it's obviously a lot different this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's all over Zoom so far, and basically all teams are a little bit different with how they do their interview process. You know, I kind of team O line coaches where they do installs, where they install one of their plays, and then you have to kind of teach it back to them. So you really got to learn on the fly. Type of thing. And then I've had other O-line coaches watching film with me, watching my college film, um, going over mistakes or, or good things that I did. Um, so it's all a little bit different. It's all um, over Zoom, which is, uh, is, is kind of uh, kind of crazy, but also good. Um, and it's been, it's been a fun experience so far. Brady, you seem pretty natural in your approach. When you're being asked questions by NFL teams, is there a right answer and a wrong answer? How do you go about Do you uh, schedule that out and have uh, a script that you're trying to follow, or do you just let it roll? You know, I, I just try to let it roll. You know, like I've had, I've had a lot, my agents help, help me a lot uh, with the whole interview process, and obviously you never know what, the questions are gonna you're gonna get and so you just kind of got to roll with it um obviously you're trying to sell yourself um so I, my goal is to to be confident but humble um and but really sell myself that this team hey if you pick me you're really gonna get a steal in the draft and, and i'm gonna be a great tackle for you for a long time and that's kind of my my attitude going into those interviews Brady, now that you're a few months away from the season, I want to ask you about it just because it was so crazy, right? Your schedule goes right into the garbage can over the summer, and Tom Homo goes out there and and pulls the games together that he he can. You guys ended up basically playing a a full schedule. You played very, very well. But uh, give us a little peek behind the scenes. What was that whole year like? It had to be wild. Yeah, it was wild. And, man, I'm so grateful for Tom and the work he he put in to get us the schedule because – I mean, there are so many teams in, in, in college that, you know, they only had four or five games. And so I, I was just so grateful that we had 12 or whatever we had. And it was crazy because, like, like you said, in fall camp, we had basically one, one or two games. You know, we had Navy and then, like, one, two others. And so it, it was hard mentally because some of the guys were like, well, why are we in practice? We don't even have a schedule. But really, I like, we were just trying to – bring up the guys, you know, I was trying to tell them, hey, that's like, we're playing the game. A lot of teams that don't have this opportunity, let's just enjoy it and be grateful for it. And I think that's really what carried over throughout the whole season. Every week you're like worried, maybe this game is going to get canceled. So every night we're playing a game, we're just grateful to be out there, no matter who was against, if there's fans, no fans. We were having fun out there and grateful to be out there. And I think that's what the attitude we had the whole season, and it really, really helped. Brady, the draft is just three or four weeks away now. Um, we've Jake and I were talking. We've seen you on mock drafts going as high as the first round and as uh, low as the fifth round. Do you have any idea where you're going to go? Because you you are really in a unique situation where you know it's a crapshoot, right? You just got to sit back. <laughs> or do you do you have a hint as to what's going to happen? 
man, I wish I could tell you exactly where I was going. You know, like I wish I knew, but I just have, like you were saying, I, I have no idea. You know, uh, the, the most, the best thing for me is just keep killing it in the interviews. You know, talking to all the teams and, and doing my best. And I felt like I did my best at pro day, and so really my whole objective is control what I can control and make teams almost feel like they have to draft me higher. And that's kind of that's kind of my my attitude towards towards it and you know when that draft night comes wherever I go is is where I'm excited to go um and I'm excited to go kill it Brady Christensen is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Brady, uh, doing this job, I've had a chance to work with a few uh, former football players. And I guess uh, it, before talking with them, I, I had no idea the amount of anxiety that goes into draft day itself. And it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, it's, it's a big day, certainly, in, in somebody's life who's eligible for that sort of thing. So I ask, have you decided what you're going to do? Are you going to watch it on TV? Or are you going to go fishing or something? What What are you going to do uh, on the weekend of the draft? Yeah, I, I know basically what I'm going to I'm going to go up to Bountiful, where I'm from, with my family, hang out with them. One of my agents will come down, and, and I told them, hey, we got to go golfing, you know, throughout the day before draft. Just to, Golf's always been a big thing for me just to go get away, you know, be outside, kind of forget about everything and just, you know, worry about about each shot. So mentally, that will that will help. Uh, my favorite course up there is Down for Ridge, so I know I'll go golf 18 up there for sure. Sweet, man! I don't know how that's going to go, Brady, because when I go play golf, and I have played that course many times, uh, in the middle of my backswing, I'll I'll have some thought come into my mind about something <laughs> either I either forgot to do or some problem I need to solve. And in the middle of your backswing, you're going to go, "What round am I going in?" Uh, and I, I hope you can score well under those conditions. I can't, I can't score that well in any condition. <laughs> so even if I have <laughs> have those thoughts uh, during my round, you know that's all right. As long as as long as, long as I'm about bogey golf, you know I'm I'm a happy guy. Good for you. <laughs> Uh, Brady, want to ask you about uh, BYU and and uh, I guess your experience there. Do you feel like it has prepared you for success at the next level? Yes, without a doubt, hundred percent. BYU. Um, I mean, I think it's going in such a great direction as a program. First of all, I think Kalani is doing an amazing job, and I'm just excited to see uh, BYU keep keep improving and the football team keep progressing. As far as prepared me for for the nfl i have no doubt um with coach grimy and and coach mateos and then coach pew before him and even coach empty they really taught me everything you need to know about o-line play obviously there's gonna be more that i learn um but as much as they could teach they, they taught me and i feel really prepared in the, the interviews and and just like the different plays that the nfl coaches teach me i, I feel very prepared and very knowledgeable um, and that's a big, big um, a compliment to to the coaches I had. Obviously, the pro game is uh, at a higher level. What are you anticipating that playing in the NFL against these kinds of athletes, uh, how, how, what's it going to be like and how's it going to be different than what you experienced in college? I think uh, two things will be the biggest difference. I think the play speed is – is a lot higher. I think no matter what position, even the O lineman, the D lineman, they're all quick. And I think that's what really sets the NFL apart from college is, is the speed of the game. And so that I'll really have to adapt to that. And then also, like the hands part of it, um, 
all the NFL D linemen are so elite with their hands and and work their hands um, nonstop that I know I'm, I'm gonna have to be like a boxer, you know, working my hands every day um, so they can be weapons for me and really violent and really accurate and get getting in the spots they need um, is something that I'll work on every day to get better. This is a really dumb question, Brady, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, you seem like like a, a very even-keeled, nice person, young father, uh, seem very caring in, in the times I've heard you speak throughout your career. But I've been under the impression for a while now that to be a good old lineman, you have to be mean. Is that true? Or do you have a mean side? Yeah, I definitely have a mean side out there. I always say the two things that O-linemen need is they need to be protectors first off. And I, I think I'm the ultimate. Ever since I was a little kid, I was a protector. You know, I very um, protect my family, you know, with my teammates. That's always kind of been ingrained in me. Um, but the, same, the second part is you got to be nasty. You know, you got to have that last little shove or finishing your block. It doesn't mean I'm a huge trash like talker. I don't, I don't t- talk a ton out there. But just trying to get that last shove, you know, just grip his jersey a little bit longer than he wants, just little things like that um, to kind of get in the D-line means head. I definitely I definitely have that in my game. Um, I think you have to to be a great O-lineman. I noticed you got the beard going and the longer hair. Is that all a part of a, uh, a mean mentality? <laughs> I always say, like my mom always says, you got to have an NFL look, you know. You can't just be <laughs> – the clean shaven guy so i was like you know i'll try a beard for a little while see how it goes and i'll try the long hair i don't know how long i'll keep it but right now i'm enjoying it so will you do me a favor and i think when we had you on before brady we asked you a a similar question but you know our average listener some of them played high school ball some played college i mean they, they they're familiar with the game some have just watched it a lot but if you were to describe or try to explain what goes into being a good offensive tackle? I, I know you know we you know while we're young, you don't have all day to explain it all to us. But what 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 message would you what what would you like to ever enlighten everyone with about what goes into it? I think what separates a decent offensive lineman and a great offensive lineman is the mental side of the game. So I'll give you a couple examples. Like I think it's huge to kind of analyze tendencies of defenses so like sometimes the defense like is his inside foot uh, up or his outside foot up you know and that will change his rush uh, pattern his rush his rush timing and that kind of sets you apart and then noticing safety tilt you know noticing all these just little things that the defense can do so you're always one step ahead Um, obviously the technique side of offensive line is huge, but I feel like a lot of people can get good at that. But just noticing the small things, the small tendencies of the defense really sets you apart. And I, I think that's what improved most in my, my three years, four years at BYU, is just noticing those things. Well, Brady, thank you very much for jumping on with us. Congratulations on your, your growing family and all your success, and uh, good luck going forward. Uh, we'll be rooting for you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Brady. We appreciate it. Uh, Brady Christensen, uh, offensive lineman at BYU and uh, soon-to-be draft pick. He had an incredible year last year, a lot of growth there at BYU. BYU, uh, Gordon, and we've talked about this quite a bit over the years, really used to be known to be an offensive line factory, and they got away from that a little bit for a while. 
um, you know, kind of went to a different style of play, and all of a sudden it had been years and years since they had put offensive linemen uh, into the NFL draft, and uh, that certainly is, is not going to be the case this year. Jake, you and I have talked about this a lot through the years, but uh, I think the offensive line is so important to the heart and soul of a football team. When they are confident and they're prepared and they're together, all of those things are absolutely necessary for an offense to go. As much as the quarterback gets all the credit and it's very important what he does, that offensive line sets a tone for the entire team. And, yeah, BYU back in the day, they had some big nasties, you know. And uh, then, like you said, they went maybe for a a little more nimble athlete for a while. But uh, it seems as though they're heading back in the direction of getting big guys who, uh, who are technically sound and who, uh, who, who can you know, be sort of comprehensive in their approach, both pass blocking and uh, opening holes along that offensive line for the run game. So uh, I, I, it's so huge. And maybe some of that is because BYU had an offensive lineman and an offensive line coach as its offensive coordinator for a number of years. Well, and I think um, that's going to be the legacy of Coach Grimes. I mean, he's been a part of this building, you know, a big part of it, obviously, and Coach Satake would tell you that. But I think that's what's really going to last. I think he he returned that to BYU football, that mentality and, you know, recruiting that type of player. And I think that will have a lasting impact on uh, impact on the program. And we asked Coach Roderick about that on, was that Monday? Uh, If he wanted to to continue that. And it sounded like he's going to make that a, a priority. He said the magic word, physicality, and uh, yeah, that's that's you want out of those big guys up there. You know, they're bigger than everybody else, and they set a tone for your team. And then, of course, they they make it happen when they're actually out on the field. But uh, I, I've I've really enjoyed my conversations with offensive linemen through the years talking football because they're pretty cerebral. Also, yeah, they're big, and sometimes they're ugly. They're all mean. I asked him about that. You have to be mean yeah. to be an offensive lineman. You do. And that's kind of funny with a guy like like uh, Brady Christensen, who's, who's kind of a – seems like a happy-go-lucky kind of dude, kind of a aw shucks kind of a guy. But then, yeah, you, you know, he you don't have the success at that position without having a, a side of you that's pretty mean. And oh, you heard no him doubt. talk about that. You know, that extra mm, that extra little something out there. Uh, that, yeah, mm. how would you like to go up against that guy? I mean, what did he miss? Like one block all year long? <laughs> I yeah, don't pretty know. dominant. I don't know what it was. Well, pro was... pro football focus loves him. I don't know how much stock you put into that, but that yeah. seems to be a popular measure these days. They they ranked him as the highest ranking left tackle. So, how it's so interesting that the opinions vary like that. Because I keep checking out uh, the uh, I've seen mock drafts that have the first three rounds, and I keep looking for his name and. Uh, oftentimes it's absent. So I I just don't know how an offensive tackle could perform much better than he did this last year. Uh, but uh, I guess there's some quality guys out there. We'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. I mean, guys fall in the draft all the time, turn out to be really good players. It's, it's so funny. I don't know what causes that. I mean, if Brady goes into the NFL and performs well for the next 10 years, people will look back and say, how in the world did you not go earlier? You know? Like well, you said, it's, it's a crapshoot. And I don't know, maybe he will go early. Uh, but if he doesn't, and he goes on and performs, and we see this all the time, especially with uh, certain linemen. 
skilled players. It seems like, you know, every once in a while there's a Tom Brady that's picked in the sixth round or whatever. But you see uh, very gifted offensive linemen who are in the latter part of the draft, and they are highly valued in the NFL. Uh, so we'll see we'll see uh, where he goes, but I think he's pretty darn good. Well, there's just so much of a hit or miss factor in the NFL draft, more so than certainly than the NBA draft. Although there's yeah. a lot in the NBA draft too, but we just you see guys. Who was it? There was an NFL team that that cut their first rounder the other day from like two years ago. I mean, not not traded, not moved, but actually cut them. I'm trying to. I think it might have been your Titans. Austin. Yeah, it was Isaiah uh, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. No, not Tyus. Uh, White, Isaiah White. And and Vrabel said basically we gave this guy every opportunity in the world and he just stinks. And they cut him. He also he also had some attitude things. The, and yeah, right. Some off the field. Yeah, it's just it's 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 crazy. But he wasn't good enough for that attitude off the field other nonsense to be trumped right. by his play. Yeah. So he had 115 the fir- tackles, go- they would have overlooked all of that. How do you go in the first round then? It's crazy. Because it's you know? an imperfect science. Yeah, like you said. Oh, we can go back over every single, I mean, comparing it to the NBA, we can go back over every, every single NBA draft. I mean, I bet you we'd go, uh, I, bet, I bet if we went two drafts ago, there'd be at least one player. Well, maybe I'm not going to go that far. I bet if we went back three or four years ago, there'd be at least one lottery pick who's not even in the league anymore. And see, I like it. I think it adds to adds a little spice to the whole thing. Because if the teams that are drafting first get all the talent, and in the NBA that seems like it's quite often the case, but then you can point out all kinds of examples of guys going later, like the Joker, I mean, and being one of the best basketball players on the planet or one of the best football players, whatever the case might be. I like the fact that uh, <laughs> they're not quite sure. It makes it kind of fun. Right. Uh, Joker or Rudy or Kawhi or even Donovan. Paul George. Look at all these these big-time players that tons of teams passed on. Do you think – how do you think uh, player personnel people, uh, general managers feel about that? Do you think there are guys that are still kicking themselves for not drafting Donovan or – Oh, yeah. No further than the Hornets who, who picked Malik Monk instead. It would it would keep me up at night. I would hate that part of the job, because you know, maybe other people forget, probably not, but you know that you screwed up. Yeah, you, I, you know what you happens. Didn't do your job the way you needed. To. It happens so much though that you would have to shake that off. I yeah. mean, you couldn't let that stuff haunt you because there, it it just happens all the time. I mean, do you think uh, Dennis Lindsay? It was Dennis who passed on Kawhi, right? Do you think that keeps him up at night? Or is it just that Kawhi landed in the right spot and developed the heck out of his game and deserves all the credit in the world? Oh, well, although well, Dennis Dennis traded for Kawhi, right? That's what it is. That's the connection. So do you think Kevin O'Connor is up at night thinking, man, I passed on Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, Dennis deserves credit for drafting it. Scratch everything I said. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. It really. was a long time ago. Traded George wise- Hill for him, yeah. As a wise, wise man once said, you can't play backward. Right. Right? I mean, how many teams are, are kicking themselves for, for not, you know, taking Rudy? The whole league. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Denver did take Rudy. Right. And Donovan, for that matter. And Donovan. They just... Yeah, but they, they took him for the Jazz with a full intention right, right, right. of trading. But I, I think if you're a general manager, maybe we asked Dennis about this sometime, Mike. I, I, I think you can't kick yourself over that sort of thing. Unless you're, unless you're Ofer, 
You know what I mean? Unless you don't hit at all. And in that likelihood, you probably aren't going to have that gig for very long. So, Well, it's one thing to miss on a guy who is turned into a pretty nice player. It's another to miss on a Kawhi Leonard and that type or, or a, a Joker. It, it, it's Well, the whole league missed on Joker. Yeah. Half the league missed on Kawhi. I mean, I don't think every general manager out there is still hanging on to the fact that they didn't get the Joker. I wonder how many guys get drafted because of past mistakes. Yeah. Somebody know. reminds them, oh, man, yeah, this guy, oh, the Joker, he did, he, 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 look what he made out of himself. Let's take this guy because he's kind of like him, but he's not really. He just sort of is. All right, we'll have more coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Locked on to the big show presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We've got the Not Sports Report coming up at 4.50. Jazz pregame takes over at 5. Jazz Grizzlies again. Hey, Gordon, I want to bring this up with you. We talk a lot about how uh, Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck, the Jazz uh, franchise in general, have been very careful uh, about uh, protecting the reputation of the franchise and kind of, um, you know, changing the narrative and trying to make this a place where players – uh, feel comfortable and and want to want to be and want to do business those sorts of things reputation we've talked a lot about that and uh, I think that's very important and uh, I'll give you an example of something that happened today all right you ready all right uh-huh. so you JJ Redick got uh, traded at the deadline to the Mavericks and um, he's a an an active uh, podcaster and he went on his podcast and and talked about it. And, and said some things, um, and I'll, I'll paraphrase because uh, he, he, you know, it was a longer podcast, but uh, he said some things. He said he was shocked to be traded to the Mavericks uh, because he requested a trade in November to be closer to his family in Brooklyn during the COVID pandemic. He was told to kind of hang in there and that they would take care of him. Uh, he thought that uh, the, if they could not trade him, the Pelicans, uh, you know, closer to home, the Pelicans would offer a buyout after the trade deadline. And obviously that didn't happen. He was traded further away from home. Um, he said this, Gordon, and I'll just read this quote. He said, quote, I don't think you're going to get honesty from that front office, just objectively speaking. That's not an opinion. I don't uh, I don't think what happened with me is an isolated incident. I, I don't expect the agents who worked with me to ever trust that front office again. Unquote. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that you don't want out there. Uh, it said he had multiple conversations uh, with uh, David Griffin, right? Um, he said, let's see, he said, uh, well, he laid it out. He said if his family came to New Orleans, kids would have to quarantine for a week when they got back to Brooklyn. Uh, said that Griff basically told him, come down for a month. If you still want out, I'll give you my word. I'll get you to a situation you like. He said he had four conversations directly uh, with Griffin, the, the general manager. Um, he said, quote, obviously he did not honor his word, unquote. 
Um, he also said this, I look at the buyout situation, situation not as, oh, I'm going to get bought out, bought out and go to Brooklyn. I just want to be able to, on an off day, go see my family and be within driving distance. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's unfortunate. And, uh, you know, there's two sides to every story, but, uh, obviously that is the impression that was left with, uh, a player who's been around the block a few times. That's not, that's not helpful. Well, it's not helpful. What, what is just not very smart, honestly. Like you ask yourself, Gordon, or at least I do. We, I ask myself all the time, like, why on earth would a team buy out these contracts? Why would they pay money for these guys to go away? Well, I mean, what does that do? I mean, you could just pay them because you're going to pay them anyway and just let them ride the pine, right? I mean, what advantage is it to the, uh, to the franchise to buy them out. Now, sometimes it's a lower negotiated number, that sort of, sort of thing. So there is some there. But I, I kind of ask myself, why are they doing these players these favors? And the answer is because it's a favor. Because <laughs> because you're taking care of these players so that they know the franchise cares about the player. And the agent, more specifically, the agent, you know, say, you do me a solid on this and we can continue to have a good relationship going forward. And, yeah. And when I, I don't get the self or the the short sighted nature of a situation like this, I mean, you're honestly you're the you're the Pelicans. Where do you why do you care right now where JJ Redick plays? I mean, right. it has literally no impact on you. And I, you know what? I'll have to go back and review the trade. I'm not sure what the Pelicans got in return, but how much would it be worth, you know, to get in return for you to basically submarine your relationship with uh, with an agent and develop a difficult reputation amongst players like that just seems that seems like a bad idea to me do you think influential agents use that to, as a bargaining chip against teams to get what their player wants uh give me an example of what you're talking about i don't know if i'm entirely just like if, if like in this case uh let's say that uh jj reddick did want to go to a certain place uh, can an agent put pressure on a franchise for what you just said that to, to keep him in favor if he has other really influential clients or really great players uh, that they have to listen to that in order to keep uh, keep that relationship uh, greased? Yes. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Like you can be the first to meet with my upcoming unrestricted yeah. free agent yes. if you buy out JJ, right. or at very least you're not going to be crossed off the list at the beginning. That would be, yeah. That would be uh, that would be uh, favorable for for most franchises. I'd advise the GM not to work in that regard, though, because well, then they what if the agent really doesn't do what he says he's going to do, and then you've bought out a player, lost a player, and not going to get a new player. You kind of have to operate on that <laughs> yeah. blind faith, uh, but I mean, uh, like it goes the other way too. Um, trust an agent. Now this may be urban legend, Gordon. You you correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't. Uh, didn't Larry Miller vow after uh, a bad deal with Jamie Watson that he was never going to deal with that agent ever again and never did? And, in fact, I heard, and this I won't get into detail because it, it would be uh, just rumor, but I heard that they had a trade lined up for a pretty good player during the Boozer um, uh, Williams era that could have made a real impact, could have possibly moved off that AK contract too a bit earlier than they did, but Larry nixed the trade because – that player was represented by the agent that he uh, decided not to do business with anymore? Well, I don't know that for a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me. So I mean, those little subtle relationship things are really important. Yes. 
And so I, I guess I'm, I'm surprised that a, an experienced uh, general manager like, like Griffin would let something like this play out. It just seems so punitive for the, the value of the player. Let me push this conversation down the road a little ways and ask you a question that PK asked me this morning when I was filling in for, for David. It was this. He, he thinks that teams like the Lakers, the big market teams, will not have an advantage in this buyout market because that's where players want to go. And he was he was mentioning Drummond in, in particular and that that is that seems like it seems like certain player, certain franchises have advantages that other franchises don't have, and he wondered if maybe something like along those lines should be blocked. What do you think? Well, not a surprise that you both love the Lakers. No, um, no, he said to block it so that it couldn't happen. But that you would think that everybody wants to play for the Lakers. That's well, I mean, come not, on. A, not a surprise. I I think it has less to do with market, honestly, uh, than it does uh, the a team being a contender. Okay. Right, because if you're a buyout guy, you're a short-term guy anyway, so why would you sign with a crappy team? If you're Andre Drummond, you're not going to go sign with the Magic. You're going to go somewhere that uh, that they need an extra piece to put them over the top, regardless of the market. This might be a chicken-and-egg type situation because the Lakers are the defending champions. But how did they get that way? Well, they signed. LeBron James decided to go there. And then AD decided to uh, stiff uh, the Pelicans and go there. And we'll see when uh, the, the if there comes a time where a buyout guy actually makes a huge impact on a title-winning team. I don't know if we've seen that yet. I mean, yeah. Darren Williams was a buyout guy for the Cavs. By the way, Cleveland, not exactly a, a real spectacular market. And he, he made a difference on their, their uh, well, I guess it was their last run to the finals. But have we actually seen a buyout player make a huge difference? I don't. I don't. I don't think Andre Drummond is the difference between the Lakers winning the title or not. Uh, he could help. Oh, no one's saying he's like you know. So on the I don't same level as LeBron and AD. I don't know if we. I think we might be making too big a deal out of buyout. I I think it would players. be interesting to see if JJ Redick. He said it was because he wanted to go closer to his family, right? Yep. What if they had traded him to the Knicks and not the Nets? Well, that was his last quote there. Where I it's, missed that it's, part. It then. sounds like he doesn't really care. He so he, he was just, being genuine that was, New York was where he wanted to be? He wanted to be somewhere he could drive home to his family during COVID because New York has the, the quarantine rule where if you— Right. And it doesn't happen to matter that the Nets are going to win the Eastern Conference? <laughs> right. Well, he's trying to— to steer the conversation away from that. He said, yeah. yeah, a lot of people say, I just want to go to Brooklyn. Frankly, I just want to be able to drive home and see my kids. So he did address that, whether you believe it or not. Right. That's I, I believe that. I mean, come on. He's not going to lie about this. Family's important to him. I'm not sure that that's uh, motivation for him to lie. But I, Yeah, I, Derek Fisher didn't either. But, I mean, to, here's the thing. To, well, uh, Derek Fisher was a special case, man. Well, and you know what? It was the smart thing for the Jazz to do uh, to let him out of that contract. People people often ignore that fact. Well, that was the favor thing. They did a player they a favor. They did a player he a favor. He was lying to them. Yeah. He, they improved uh, their their reputation. And Derek Favor or Derek Favors, Derek Fisher was crazy overpaid for the production that he was giving at that point. And had like, what, Gordon, two, three years left on his contract? He was on his way to being a salary burden. He, they, they were better off on a number of different levels with him leaving. So do you think that Jez knew he was lying to him? 
Of course, absolutely, one hundred percent. But you're within. You're you're put between a rock and a hard place in that scenario, though. What are you going to say? No, and then get dragged <laughs> across the headlines that you have no sympathy to to a, a man with an ill child. I mean, there was. Larry, Larry absolutely did the right thing in that scenario, but also he didn't have much of a choice. Which is kind of why why didn't David Griffin do this do for the JJ? Same thing. Yeah. yeah, but yep. see, this is this is this is where in, in a public battle, you know, that's just bad PR, you know, when a team doesn't cooperate in that regard. But it's also dirty pool to some extent because there's a lot of people pointed out with uh, Derek Fisher, there are some pretty fine cancer specialists right here in this market as well. But he was talking about wanting to go back to New York, and next thing you know, he goes signs with the Lakers, which is farther away. So I I don't know. It doesn't matter, though, is the point. It doesn't matter. It was worth it to the Jazz. It was was worth it on so many different levels to do it. The the reason, who cares? They should have done it. They did the right thing. It was better for the franchise anyway. And And you're saying the Pelicans should have done it for Redick. Right. For the same reasons. Not the same circumstance, but the same reasons. Right. Uh, in very rare situations, is it a good idea to lie? I, I, I just think that karma comes back to bite you in the butt. Or Matt Barnes comes over to your house to beat you up. <laughs> yeah, that could happen, too. Whatever right. happened to Derek Fisher? He's a head coach in the WNBA somehow. Oh, is he? Yeah. For the L.A. team there, I believe. Somehow. Somehow. That's funny. Well, let's not pretend like he was a great coach for the Knicks. He's a, he's a basketball coach somehow. I don't I agree. He got hired. <laughs> he he retires one day, hired the next. Doesn't pay a single due. You know, doesn't even uh, not assistant, not not a G League coach, not not a, never on a staff. Video coordinator. Just yeah. come on over, let's hand you the big boy job, which he failed miserably at, and somehow lands another head coaching job. Are we labeling Derek Fisher as a bad coach? Yes. As disingenuous? I will, yeah. Well, as our boy Jimbo Slice says, didn't he do it to three different teams? <laughs> and just as a reminder, yeah. Yeah. All right. Stay tuned. We'll get to Not Sports Sport coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And the Zone Sports Network. In very rare situations, is it a good idea to lie? I, I, I just think that karma comes back to bite you in the butt. I did meet Hugh. Oh, unbelievably nice. I got taught how to play polo by Juice Newton. I got a letter from Casey Case discussing something I had written. Said I'm a fan and I really enjoyed this. It was really, really good. Met Sly. Sly Stallone. Yeah, at a, at a an, an arena polo match in Burbank. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for the Not Sports Port, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Check them out, lhmusedcars.com. All right, Gordon, uh, it's uh, where are we going today? First of all, every one of those stories that were just highlighted were 100% true. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. You've been saying Somebody that for years. Today, 
Today, uh, PK opened up uh, the the lines for people to or to, to text in questions for me that I had to answer truthfully, and one of them was, "Are the stories you tell on the big show true?" And I said, "All but two or three, and those every one of those that was just mentioned is true." Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we're going to Great Falls, Montana. Here it looks like. Um, a man from Syracuse, Utah, by the name of Roderick Dow Claythorne, was sentenced uh, by a federal uh, district court judge for excavating and damaging archaeological resources in the cemetery of the Fort Yellowstone National Historic Landmark in Yellowstone National Park. Why would he be digging around a cemetery in a national park? Two words. Forest Fen. Remember that story, Jake? I'm going to need more words. Forest Fen? He was the art dealer in uh, New Mexico who uh, buried a treasure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Buried a treasure uh, and uh, left a poem with hints on where the treasure was. But they found it, right? Somebody found it? They did, but this happened before it was found. It was found in... In uh, 2020, I believe, by a medical uh, student, a 32-year-old in Wyoming, it was found. So, anyway, he was digging around graves and digging around in a national monument kind of situation. And I tell you, I'm trying to decide how I feel about it. Didn't some guy get lost in the woods and they had to go find him? No, there were deaths looking for this thing. Yeah, there were deaths looking for that treasure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, I, I don't know, on the one hand, I think it's kind of fun. On the other hand, I think it's, uh, obviously in this case, uh, uh, this individual from Syracuse ended up with, uh, you know, getting sentenced to like six months in jail and six months probation and like a fine of 30-some thousand dollars, and he never found it. So, but, uh, you know, going into a a place that is designated as a, uh, a national park area where those areas are to be uh, preserved, to go in there and start digging around for buried treasure? Ah, come on. Let's not do that. Come on. Would you follow? Austin, would you fall into come something on. like that? If you if you thought you had a good chance, you read the poem. Would I go disturb said, graves? Would I be no, a grave no, robber? No, no, no. I'm not talking about this specifically, but would you go on the hunt? No, 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 no. Even if you thought you knew where it was? No, and it's not because uh, I don't believe I can find it. It's that I just don't want to. I'm lazy. <laughs> I, I have to go outside to do stuff like that. I kind of <laughs> want Gordon to bury some sort of treasure. What, and then write a poem about it? Or just tell Austin and I Not a poem. Is. We know you're not good quack, at it. Quack, 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 crack, 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 splat. Yeah. yeah I, I, yeah. Uh... I don't know. I I just think people are, they go on these weird treasure hunts. And, you know, maybe it pays off for some folks, you know, looking for buried treasure or looking for some sunk Spanish galleon from the 1700s. 
Yeah. And they can find a bunch of try daytrading.com. Yeah. Do that first. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Gordon, and I, I doubt you are this guy, but uh, have you ever been a metal detector at the beach guy? No. My best friend no. is. It, yeah. Like, it's embarrassing. Yeah, people are into it, but I, I don't understand what they actually find. <laughs> Nothing. You find garbage. Yeah, right. You find tetanus, is what you find. Yeah. You know, it's not a good day for anybody. Look so at this afraid. old bottle cap I found. Great. That was nine hours of your life to find someone's yeah. garbage from nine. 1984. Yeah, but there but are people of, who are super friend, into your it. Friend, your friend might think it's it's the chase, not necessarily. Yeah, but if you don't find you anything. But I does know, he have to do it in the light the where everyone else can see him? Because it's, like I said, embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. He's got like this spade that's hanging off his belt. And, and this, oh, it's... It's really weird. Has he ever found anything of value? No. Well, what is there to find? I'm with Austin on this. A rusty nail and not the drink. A ring? No, but no. Uh-uh. Nothing. Nothing. My mom, my mom lost her her uh, wedding ring uh, at a beach. Well, he didn't find it, if you're asking me that. He didn't find it. My dad had to go buy something else. So, uh, anyway. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, I would not do that. Uh and I feel a little bad for people who feel the need to do. I would rob graves before I go out in public <laughs> with a metal detector on the beach. I'll tell you that right now. Okay, there's a great would you rather oh, right there. Definitely grave the graves. robber yep. or metal detector on the beach guy. Cover of night wins it every time. At least oh, you're in the cover on, of night. Yeah, I gotta agree you're with not, you there. You're not gonna dig into somebody's grave. Rather than there's be no metal one. detector guy at the beach, you bet I am. <laughs> no, you're not. Yep. I'd rather. I think I might go the the grave robber route too. You would, <laughs> then nobody knows about it. You wouldn't disturb somebody. Uh, all right. I mean, not that I am a big proponent of going out there with the metal detector, but uh, I think I'd rather do that than rob a grave. Come on, guys. Plus, there's so many better things to do at the beach. You know, like every minute you're you're walking around with that metal detector is a minute you're not spent. You know, <laughs> at the beach doing fun stuff at the beach. Yeah. Whereas, you, you know, Robin Graves, it's just a couple hours out of my night. I mean, I'd be sleeping I, otherwise. I remember when my when my I was a kid, my dad t- would take me to uh, national parks. I was on the East Coast, but we would come out and visit and stuff. And I, I, you know, I thought it would be fun to find some gold or find an arrowhead or find something, you know. And I used to look around just as a little kid. But I've never really devoted any time to... Have you guys ever found found something of value doing anything? I'm not even talking about treasure hunting. I'm just talking about accidentally finding something on the floor at the grocery store. We've met, right? I don't have good luck. I found ninety bucks in a uh, in a bush once. What? <laughs> I, I'm convinced to this day it had to be like drug money or something. A like it bush? Was, it, it was at an apartment complex. It was right. The bush was right next to where I parked my car. I saw what looked like a plastic bag full of money, and I was like, "Oh, well, let you, me look at that." And I picked it up, and it sure enough, plastic bag full of money. Did like you take ninety it? bucks? Did yeah. You return it? Oh, of course I took it. You're crazy. Why? Javier, Javier Bardem's out there looking for you ah, right now. Ninety dollars. <laughs> Nobody's gonna miss that. That was a creepy movie, man. Oof. It was ninety bucks. I was young. I, I had like I had like twelve dollars to my name. Call it. I'm not putting that back in the bush. Oh, you're gonna get an air rifle to the forehead one of these nights. No, stop it. Carrying a tank around. <laughs>
You know, I was thinking about this, though, and, and we've got to go. But, uh, you know, being caught doing any crime red-handed would be horrible. You know, all of a sudden the flashlight hits you and the cops like hands up. But <laughs> it, it, can you imagine? It'd be the worst if you were a grave robber, right? Well, you see, I'm uh, I'm uh, I collect uh, shovels. I, I'm, I, uh, I, I was really close with my aunt. Um, <laughs> like, wouldn't that be the worst crime ever to she get caught? She had my social security card in her I, pocket. I, what do you want me to... You've seen I, the uh, line at the social security <laughs> office. I don't think you're talking your way out of that one. No way, no how. <laughs> she had she had my pin number. Is this number. not the sandbox? She huh? had my password for my Bitcoin account. <laughs> Tell you right now, of all the immoral behavior, <laughs> five minutes left rot, before it digging, expires. digging into someone's grave to steal a ring or steal anything of value that they were buried with, I'd be doing it for the wingtip shoes. Don't you judge me. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry, officer. I was just. Uh, oh man, you see the thing I. Uh, Science mm. project. <laughs> Oh, that'd be terrible. I'm All right. digging a new grave. I work here. And Gordon, you uh, you have yourself a, a wonderful evening. I'll you talk to you tomorrow. Safe. All righty. Thanks, man. Big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.